new beginning. New Welcome beginning. to the Grief Dreams Podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Joshua Black. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. And I'm really excited to speak with this uh, next guest. His name is Darwin Dave. He's an IT consultant by day and a photographer by night. He resides in Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. In January of 2016, he started the Dealing With My Grief podcast as a way of chronicling his personal grief recovery process. Since his inception, the podcast has over 9,000 downloads from 36 different countries. Darwin, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. That's a lot of success. Uh, you know, it's great to talk to a fellow podcaster. And honestly, you know, 50 episodes, that's amazing output. Like, congratulations on that. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I've got now what, um, it's a weekly podcast. And uh, if you're listening to this, you probably won't get one this week because, as I mentioned earlier at the beginning of this call, I've been sick for the last three or four days. But um, we'll get back at it next week. Probably going to be missing you, but that's okay, right? They'll uh, just have to sort of have that cliffhanger and to listen to the next one right away when it comes out. So, the podcast is very interesting because you started in 2016. And I guess the first question is, why do you even start a podcast? Because we started a podcast last year also, and we had our own sort of motivations to raise awareness on grief dreams. But so why did you start this process? Social media. It was around the end of 2015, where a friend of mine um, had lost her father. And a lot of her personal journey she had put out in Facebook about how she had missed him, anniversaries of birth dates and the things that she would miss in holidays. And that sort of really got personal to me when I started thinking about my own loss and my own father. I started to think about some of the things that she was going through and how it related to myself. And at that point, I didn't really feel comfortable in starting a blog because my writing skills are not the greatest in the world. So I figured if I started a podcast, it would just be easier for me to press record and talk into a microphone and just sort of put some of my own personal feelings down. And it took really a while for me to put that out into the world for everybody to listen to. That's awesome. So have you had any other experience, you know, through school or growing up, like, doing this type of thing because it takes someone who's comfortable you know who's like you know essentially a little bit extroverted maybe you've had a voice when you work you've sang it sang in, in a choir or a band or like like what have you done that made you able to jump in and do this you know i that's a very good question and i don't know um i can tell you that as i sat down and recorded the first couple of episodes or what i thought the first couple of episodes would be it took me a very long time to actually push publish and to put it out into the world. I guess my thing was I wanted to let not only my friend know, but a lot of people know that, you know, loss, death, grief is real and that they aren't necessarily the only ones that are going through something. I know that for me and the feedback I've gotten from uh, the people who responded back to me through the podcast, that they've sort of let me know the same thing. It's just it's it's just helpful to know in a weird kind of way that you're not the only one that's going through something. That's uh, that's pretty incredible because, you know, again, like to, to jump into something like that, you know, um, obviously shows the passion and that you have for the topic itself and, and the drive of, of wanting to put something out there, you know, seeing, like you said, your friend and others dealing with grief. Um, that's amazing, you know. Like our story, like for, for me, like, you know, I've had, you know, audio experience, you know, here and there, I, I've done things like that. So 
it, I was less nervous, but I can't imagine you know how the nerves. Like you said, it took you a while to publish it, but hey, thank God you did because you know you sound great. You know your podcast is doing well, and you know it's it's it worked out. Thanks, thanks. Well, and the other thing I guess I need to mention of that too is, for me, my initial experience with loss has been was what thirty seven, thirty eight years ago. So while it's been some time. You know, every day it gets a little bit easier, but I just figured it was, it's been so long that it's not really something that I guess is so personal anymore. I mean, it is, but it's not. I, I can't really explain it. That That's the only way I could explain it. Okay. And then when, uh, when you're, you're talking about like just starting out. So what was the, you know, your emotions when you first press play or to publish that were you looking at the hits? Were you surprised by how many downloads? Like what was the initial reaction starting starting this out? Well, the re- the initial reaction was mixed. Um, a couple of people who had not really known about my the death of my father, and and just to to start out, I guess the podcast itself is a first person narrative of how the loss of my father when I was ten has really affected me. You know, literally from that moment to now. And there were some people that I know who had lost that was fresh or new who couldn't listen to it because their own personal experience with loss was so painful. And there were some people who have been dealing with this for three, four, five, ten years who have never really talked about it. So from those people who loss was new, they really couldn't listen to it per se because they were still trying to deal with their own loss. And for people who have been dealing with this for quite some time, it was refreshing to know that other people either, A, were in the same boat and were still trying to feel their way through recovery, or B, that there was a new platform through the podcast uh, that they could express themselves and what they were actually feeling. Yeah, I think like that, like especially right now, podcasts have you know just been on the increase. And to have podcasts on grief is very unique because it- you probably have seen too, there's not many out there that are actively doing this. And so I think that's great that you took the the start. Because I think there's a lot of people that you said, like, that may want to hear this. And, but I am sort of, I'm really curious to say, like, when you put that out there, and your friends sort of listen to it, what was their reaction in the sense of, did they continue to listen to it? Did they, you know, like, because they said, like, it's not like you talk about loss all the time. A lot of times, you know, with me, no one really knows until I bring up the subject. It's sort of like when it happens, people know, but any new friends, it's not something that comes up a lot. So are you finding that your friends don't talk about your podcast and maybe that, that you want them to? Or like, how is that going? Well, I would like for people to talk about it more, but it seems people don't talk about my podcast like nobody talks about the loss I've experienced. It, it never gets mentioned unless I bring it up, it seems. Unless it's, let's say, someone who has listened to it for the very first time, then the response is usually, you know, I'm sorry about the loss of your father. And they may ask me a couple of follow-up questions to that in terms of how am I doing in terms of my my grief recovery process. But to be perfectly honest with you, it nobody really talks about it that much, at least not in my presence. The only person that has really talked about it to any substantial length is my mother. And my mother thought it was just basically a two or three week fad that I would go through. And she never thought that I would come up with so many different topics to talk about. And so she's probably been the biggest critic, if you will, 
in terms of the entire process. You know, like I said, friends, they will, again, sort of comfort me or attempt to comfort me in terms of what we normally hear. Uh, my condolences for your loss. Sorry for your loss. But nobody really brings it up. Um, the people who have given me the, the most feedback, believe it or not, are the the non-friends that I have, the people that have listened to my podcast from afar. So I've gotten more of a response from people that I don't know than people that I do know. And I think that's because it's still an uncomfortable topic. People don't know exactly what to say when you say, well, hey, look, I've got this podcast and it's not about making money. And it's not about how you can feel better tomorrow. It's about how a 10-second period in my life has affected my entire life, and it deals with the death of my father. I think people still have a hard time talking about it. And again, that's the reason that I started the podcast was to sort of make that a little bit easier to deal with. Wow, that's so interesting. And it's interesting to say, like, the the people who don't know you are the ones that are more responsive to talking about this subject. And I think a lot of people maybe could understand that in their own lives who have had loss and are walking through it that, you know, those people that maybe are the closest to you prior to the loss may not want to actually speak to that subject after the loss. And I think that's just a part of our culture. It's not something we really, you know, sit down and talk about it with, you know, as we grow up, unless maybe you're a funeral director or something. Um, <laughs> Right. Like unless like death is around you a lot. But when it's not, it's you said like a lot of people avoid the subject. So it can be very difficult to bring it up. And one thing is, especially if they haven't lost anyone. And if they have, a lot of times they don't a lot of people don't even look at their own loss. They just want to sort of move forward, they say, or they want to just, you know, keep it sort of hidden because then it doesn't bother them as much as they think. So at the end of the day, I'm glad you're sharing it. And I'm glad you're, you know, you you maintain those friendships, even though they don't want to sort of um talk to you about your loss, I'm guessing you still have those friends, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, like I said, a lot of people that I have shared my experience with have had their own losses, and they are still trying to figure out how to deal with them themselves. And and, and I get that, and I understand that, and I respect everybody's space. So, you know, it, it's no big thing to me. I, I don't I don't take it personally. Yeah, definitely. And it's just, it's also a matter of like, uh, you know, that's society at large, our systems aren't really, they don't seem designed for grief as much as we'd like them to be. Uh, I've talked about this before, where in some Latin American countries, it's a yearly thing to kind of remember the deceased and celebrate and what have you and, you know, kind of keep them in your thoughts in that way. But, you know, where, where we are at right now in, in our society, it's kind of like, well, you've had your time to grieve, you know, now just don't hold on, you know, just you got to move on with life. But, you know, it's it's it shouldn't really be like that, right? That's true. And, you know, I can't speak to the Canadian way of life, but in the U.S., I think it's really also broken down between the sexes. So I think that for the most part, women are given a lot of time to grieve and pretty, they're given a, a lot of latitude in terms of the way that, I guess, grief is allowed to affect them. And I don't think guys or men are given the same respect is not the word I'm looking for. It's the same opportunity. That would be a better choice of words. So as, as a guy or as a man, you're expected to, in some cases, not cry or to get over it, in quotes, uh, quicker than anyone else is allowed to, you know, and just sort of be a man and just deal with it. And one of the things that I found when I first started this journey was that, you know, there are not a lot of men that are talking about this. I found a lot of uh, women 
whether they are pastors, psychiatrists, psychologists, whatever, that deal with the subject, but there are not a whole lot of men that talk about it. And that was one of the things that it made me even want to put my story out uh, even more. I've seen the exact same thing. When it comes to helping others with bereavement, like one-on-one sessions and, and group sessions, the majority of people are women that are actually coming for help and also wanting to help others. So there's this this weird thing with men, how it's like there, it is like a faux pas in, in a way. And that's what makes you so unique because there are men who are probably searching out resources for grief and they want to hear from a male perspective because you said like a lot of the stuff that out there is from women. And so with your podcast and like our podcast, like that's the only ones I know of that are actually male. Um, I don't know if you do you know any other ones? Yeah, there's another one. Um, was it's a comedian out of New York? His name is Jordan Ferber. I think the name of his podcast is uh, Where's the Grief? Okay, great. So there's, so there's three. And that's so if anyone who's male that wants to sort of hear those perspectives, those are great platforms to speak to it on. And so by uh, by doing that, you're, you're just raising the awareness of that issue. And I'm guessing a lot of men would more or less search for their uh, support, grief support, probably online, rather than go into these groups and get the help. And that's what I'm seeing, uh, just say, like at the different hospices that I've volunteered at, where the males don't actually go seeking support as much as um, women do. Yeah, and, I, and, and again, I'm not exactly sure why that is. It, it, I'm almost positive that that's just simply a cultural thing, that men are just raised to believe that we just need to deal with it and get over it, and, and that's just the way life is supposed to be. Yeah, for sure, in, in at least our society. And, and you know, the can, Canadian culture and American culture are very similar in that way. Uh, you know, boys aren't supposed to cry. Boys are supposed to be strong. So that kind of lends to that where when you're grieving, it's just, you know, I know like with me, it's I've always told myself growing up, oh, I just, uh, I can't cry. I tried, I can't, you know, and it's just sometimes, you know, you kind of hold on to those statements and, you know, that might not be true, might be true, but, you know, if you're, have those thoughts in your mind, then, you know, it, it's going to, it's going to come to fruition. Yeah. And it's not just crying. It's just almost just sometimes just seeking or wanting to talk about it is also a big step in the grieving process. And I know as a male <laughs> that when my, uh, before my father passed away, my mom, before my father passed away, I didn't, I don't know if I really cried. And I think I talked about this before a little bit about, um, I cried after my father passed away. And then it didn't cry, like sort of the first couple of days I cried. And then after that, it, it didn't, there was like a gap. And then my mom fell ill and had a heart attack. And I cried then also. Uh, but then when I, but both times when I cried, my eyes burned. And my reasoning for that is because I've never really used those glands to cry tears of sadness. And so I think there's something to that and also the vulnerability like, I don't even like going to the hospital even when I know something's wrong. I don't know why, but it's like acknowledging that you're, you're sick, right? Like, right, <laughs> right. weird with just men, you know, basically surrendering to the fact that they need help. And with women, I think they're just encouraged to do that more often. Well, I, I tell you, with my own personal experience, you, know, you talk about crying. I can remember the day that my father died. I don't even think I cried then. It was more like disbelief that, that everything had happened. And at the funeral, I probably shed a couple of tears. And again, it was all like I was, well, getting to your podcast, it was all like I was living a dream, if you will, like it wasn't real. And it wasn't until I was maybe probably 14 or 15 that um, the realization hit me that he was gone and he was really gone. I mean, that was literally an entire four years after the whole thing happened. So it wasn't just 
the whole thing of crying that I had to go through. It was anger, vengefulness. I mean, I, I just went through a whole series of emotions in a little bit less than, you know, a year, year and a half. That that sort of messed me up a little bit as a kid. But um, I, yeah, I it was just it was just a lot of stuff to get through. And you know, like you said before, if I had had someone there, or if I had had the opportunity to sit down and talk to somebody about the way that I was feeling, then, you know, maybe my grief journey had turn, would have turned out a lot differently than it has. Yeah, that is an interesting concept, right? If things that were different, where would you be in the process? But hey, all I know is you've made a podcast. It's helping a lot of other people, and that's a beautiful thing on, on that front. You talked a little bit about your loss. Can you go through, like, why would you feel vengeful for the death of your father, just to give the audience? Okay. No problem. And, and before I go any further, I know you're podcast is a PG rated podcast, but let me just say that um, I may throw out some images that are not suitable for children, let's say under 13. <laughs> so if anybody's listening, you may actually want to uh, listen to this first outside of the presence of uh, smaller children. And with that, um, let's see, when I was 10 years old, well, let's backtrack even a little bit further. My parents were entrepreneurs and they owned a small convenience store in the community that I grew up in. And the night before my parents 14th wedding anniversary, I was at the store with my dad and my mom, as we always were. He had just finished eating dinner, and uh, myself and my mother had left the store. And um, while I was in the process of finishing up some homework and getting ready to go to bed, the store to our alarm went off, or the alarm to our store went off. And um, after calling a couple of times, my father didn't pick up the phone, and my mother and I went and actually went to see what was going on or what was wrong at the store. And when we got there, uh, my father had suffered some type of injury. We had, we would discover later, it was two gunshot wounds. But he essentially had bled out in the time it took us to get from the house to the store. So my father was murdered, and it was determined that he was murdered by a gentleman in the neighborhood who had frequented our store and um, had actually... Uh, received some assistance from my father in the past in the form of some free groceries. So it was a little hurtful to think that somebody from the community could do this, but more hurtful that someone that my father had helped would also be partially responsible for his death. So when I say vengefulness, it was one of those things where I had to take my religious Roman Catholic views and sort of pit them against my personal feelings about what the church teaches in terms of forgiving versus what I was truly feeling in my heart, which was revenge. Wow. And like, I'm listening to that story and I got tears in my eyes just because you say, like, your father helped him out. And it seems like your father was a really kind man to do something like that and for him to, you know, pass away because of the individual. How did you, how was your journey with that? Did you ever talk to that man? Did that man get convicted? Well, the person who was ultimately convicting of killing my father uh, did receive a life sentence in uh, prison. And in the state of Missouri, which is where I'm from, life carries a uh, sentence of 50 years without the possibility of parole, or at least 50 years without the possibility of parole. So sometime in 20, if my math is correct, sometime in 2028 or 2025, I guess, the way they count years now, he'll be eligible for parole. 
And um, yeah, so he's still in jail. And no, I haven't really talked to him. A lot of people have asked me if I want the opportunity to, and I don't think so because the only question in my mind that I could ever really ask him would be why he did what he did. And I don't think that the answer to that question would ever be anything that would be something that would be acceptable to me. So, no, I haven't talked to him, and I really don't have any desire to even face him until his parole hearing. But you would face him at the parole hearing? Yeah. Um, if he has an opportunity to to receive parole, like I said, I think that's in 20... What year is that? Like 2028, I do believe. Um, or I guess the way that Missouri counts the years would be sometime in 2025. So sometime in the next eight years or so, um, he'll be eligible for parole. And at that time, I would get a chance to speak my piece in front of the parole board to either speak on his behalf in terms of why he should get out or against uh, his parole hearing. So, yeah, I would get that opportunity then. And I would probably, again, that would probably be the only time I'd, I'd ever really want to even look him in the eye or face him. Wow. It's like something I've never had to even think about or deal with, um, but definitely would complicate bereavement. And say that it's coming up, so it's bringing up, either way, you said you're mentioning it, either way, in the future, there's that opportunity where you're speaking on behalf or not. And I think that will just continue to bring up those emotions and also sort of see sort of how far you've come since the I guess, in learning how to, I guess, to forgive in the sort of the church's eye, to sort of see like what what has changed over you over the time, because that's one emotion that will follow you for the rest of your life, right? Because that event, it has so much significance in your loss. Right. And it does. But you know what? In a weird kind of way, in a weird kind of way, I'm almost at peace with that too. I mean, because it's been, it's been so long and I've had to overcome, I guess, personally so much that I've attempted not to let that affect me for as much as possible. You know, I still have my moment, you know, so on the anniversary of my father's death or his birthday or things like that, things get a little bit sort of, I I get sad. And those are some rough days or rough times for me to deal with. But thinking about that, you know, like I said, man, I'm, I'm sort of at peace with that now in a weird kind of way. It's because I've, I guess, when I turned 17 or 18, I decided that I needed to live, and I can't really use that as a burden anymore in terms of what I could or couldn't do in life. So I've had to at least attempt to get past that just to live. So you know, at a parole hearing or if I have to face him again or whatever, you know, like I said, I've been through so much that I don't really think that that moment is, is going to affect me too much. Now, when the day comes, I could be totally wrong, and I probably will be. But at least the way I think about it now is I, I don't I don't think it's going to be that bad. That's actually amazing to hear, which means whatever you've been doing on your journey so far has worked. Because if it if you had this very similar feelings, which means would just like showcase the fact that maybe what you're doing, there's there's other things you could do to sort of promote sort of forgiveness um, and healing as you sort of walk through your grief. Because it's one thing, right, to lose someone you love. It's another thing to carry those eventual feelings. And you said like that's decreasing or you, you think it's decreased over the years. And so you're focusing, I'm guessing, more on the love that you have for your father. And, and, and that's, I think, you know, when it comes to the grief journey, the place to be in the sense of those memories you have and who the person was to you, because that is what sort of keeps you going, it keeps me going, you know, like as much as I miss my father, I also sort of understand what a benefit he was in my life in different areas. And, and I, you know, like I sort of 
continue to see them as part of my life by doing the podcast, by doing the research. And it gives me such great sort of, I don't know, motivation to keep going to help others and realizing that that's because of him, you know? So I'm using sort of his loss as a way to help humanity as a whole learn to love and, and care a little bit more about each other and have compassion. And I believe sort of his loss is doing that uh, for you too. It, it, and it does. Without saying it, I think really the deeper message of my podcast is that even through loss or after loss, you just have to keep on living. We're still here, right? <laughs> so we have to find a way to keep going. And if you listen to any episode of my podcast, you know, a lot of times I'll say, you'll know that I'm in pain and I'm really in pain. In physical pain, if you see me with my head down and I'm just watching myself put one foot in front of the other. And sometimes through my grief process, I've pretty much had to do the same thing. I've just had to sort of put my head down and just keep going because in dealing with loss for me, it's just really about trying to continue living. As hard as that is on a personal level or an individual level, especially after you lose somebody you're close to, the bottom line is that we have to figure out a way to keep living and specifically keep living without that person. Yeah. And not just living. I think, well, when we say living, I think it's like keeping your heart open because especially after, you know, after I lost my father, one of the first things that I wanted to do was close my heart, you know, and not, you know, and, and sort of shed my, you know, shed my love, I guess, from the world because then I can't get hurt again. Right. Because it's when we love someone where that yeah. on an attachment, that's when the grief is the most extreme. Yeah, that's true. And that's entirely true. Um, I did spend a period of my life where pretty much everything to me was closed off. Um, that would have been the four years, I guess, after I went to high school, my four years during high school, rather. So when my father died, I was in elementary school. Pretty much everybody that I went to school with, everyone who lived in my community, knew what the deal was with my father. And after grade school, the high school I went to was an all-boys college prep Catholic high school. And it was the best educational experience I could probably have ever had. The problem with me was is that they had a ton of father-son events. So there was like a father-son golf, father-son bowling nights, father-son. If you could do an activity with two people, there was a father-son activity for that, for that particular type of event, type of activity at my high school. And my father wasn't around to attend. And while I could have gone with either my grandfather or one of a few uncles of mine, they weren't my father, and I sort of felt like I was left out. So, yes, when you talk about wanting to shut people out, I shut people out who would have actively been willing to to be a part of my life, but I just didn't really want them to be because they weren't the person who should have been there, and that was my father. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a, it's a critical part in uh, a child's life and a teenager's life, right? Like, because you're learning how to bond and socialize with the people around you, and you, you're idolizing your your father, your parents at that stage, and then later on when you're you know older teen, you you know you're rebelling against them. But you know these are all important steps in in that in that journey. And I think there's no coincidence that as you've matured more, you know, you're hitting your tw- late twenties and thirties that maybe insights are coming in more and more where you're understanding suffering and you're understanding the importance of suffering. Yeah. You're understanding not only the importance of suffering, but then in some cases you don't realize what you should have learned at an earlier age. (laughs) 
So, and I say that to say this, one of the people that um, was a very strong influence in my life in terms of giving me all those lessons was my grandfather. And if you listen to eh, a couple of episodes of my podcast, I may not have made this as clear as I probably should have or as I will in future episodes, is that my grandfather was a very strong figure in my life after my father passed away. And unfortunately, my grandfather passed away when I was 17 or 18, uh, my freshman year in college. And the difference, and I was crushed by his, his death. And the reason being is because there was really some um, unresolved conflict between the two of us. So when my father died, there was really nothing that was left that we hadn't said. But the big thing between my grandfather and myself was my grandfather was a firm believer that I should not leave home to attend college because I would be leaving my mother at home, that my mother needed me to be closer to home, to help take care of her, help take care of home and everything else. And I chose to leave the city of St. Louis, where I was born and raised, to attend college uh, at Howard University in Washington, D.C. So we had this big blowout fight probably about a week before I left home. And I really didn't say much to him or talk much to him in that last week leading up to when I was leaving. And two weeks and sort of thinking that, okay, well, you know, I'll talk to Grandpa when I get home for Thanksgiving and we'll just sort of iron everything out. Well, as it turned out, I think I was at I think I was on Howard University's campus two weeks, maybe two and a half weeks, and my grandfather passed away. So I, I tell some people, in some regards, I've probably been affected more by the loss of my grandfather than I have my father. I'm still really not sure, only because there were a lot of things that weren't said between the two of us between the time I last saw him and the time he passed away. Yeah, and that just sort of uh, goes to show that every loss is a little bit unique based on, so as I said, like, as you said, right, how um, if there's anything left you you needed to say or you wanted to say. And, you know, that's where I think some, sometimes people have these dreams of that, of the deceased saying things uh, to them um, or for them to, to say stuff to the deceased that they wanted to say and that they never had a chance. Like for me, it was like just tell my dad, you know, that I loved them and I'm going to miss them. You know, like it was just one of those things I needed to say to give me that, you know, say closure, which just basically unlocked that block that really was sort of hindering me as I was moving forward. As we sort of move forward now, like when, when looking at just the podcast itself, because you started it because you wanted just a platform to basically help you cope a little bit. Because uh, you said you didn't even know, you know what you were doing, but you couldn't do a blog, but you wanted to put your, your thoughts out there or record them. So ha have you found that it helped you in any way in your own grief process? Yes. I can tell you that I have learned a lot about myself personally in the last year in terms of really understanding why or how I've come to become the person I am now in terms of the way I either believe certain things either philosophically or religiously, the way I treat other people. I would think, you know, and I, and I hate people who say this, but I would say that um, I'm probably, probably a pretty compassionate person. My level of compassion towards other people and what they're going through probably would not be the same had I not gone through my own experience, but even more so in the last year, I'm sort of hypersensitive to people and their loss and their need to just get whatever it is they're going through off of their chest. If I have not learned anything over the past year is that, you know, silence is the enemy. So my whole thing now with the podcast is, you know, if you have something to say, you know, say it. And people have, will send me emails, 
will send me comments on any one of the episode posts for the podcast. So again, it's really just more so about me speaking out and saying, hey, look, the more you talk about these things, maybe, just maybe, the easier that it gets. And every week after I finish an episode, I can tell you I do feel you know a little bit better about myself because a lot of the things I've been carrying around for the last 38 plus years, you know, I just let go a little, uh, just let go of a little bit more of that stuff. It's so beautiful to to hear that, and I think you're definitely right because I see that in my own life, and probably there's a lot of other people also. How like a death, as much as it is most you know one of the the, the worst things out there to experience. There is that beauty in the sense that it gets you to a place that's very hard to get to otherwise because it opens you up to understanding other people's feelings. And there's, I don't know, like loss is such a big thing that a lot of us feel. And I remember as a kid, a lot of, uh, I had other friends in high school that lost uh, someone. And at that time, I never lost anyone. So I didn't really give it two thoughts. And but like now, like my heart is like, yeah, if someone loses a like really just grief in general, anything, a job, you know, the parent, like I can I can like sort of sympathize with them because of my own experience with that. And that's a beauty because those people need that because there's so many people I think around them that don't have that level of compassion. They maybe haven't had that loss to open them up in that way. But when it comes to you as you as you're seeing with the emails that people are understanding that and they feel comfortable sharing. I think that's the big thing, how it's about providing that safe space for others and for them to sort of realize that you're listening to them and you can understand them in in some way. Right. And I I think the biggest thing for me, though, too, is that they don't necessarily know me personally and I don't know them personally. And I think there is a different level of trust because I'm I'm non-judgmental. You know, I've heard from a lot of different friends during a lot of different points in my life that they thought that I would either be over what I've gone through or would have forgotten about it. And if you truly love somebody that you've lost, I don't think you ever truly, quote unquote, get over it. So I think one of the things that people find comforting in talking to me, and I say this a lot of times to a lot of people, that when you email me or you send me whatever it is you send me, I'm non-judgmental. You know, I don't know you. I don't know what your walk of life is. All I know is that the two of us have something in common, and that's we've lost somebody that we love very much. And, you know, unfortunately, while everybody is going to be a member of the I Lost Somebody Close to Me Club, not everybody currently is, and I don't think you really get it or you don't really understand it until you go through it. And I think that's really the part that sucks about the whole thing. Yeah, that's true for grief. It's also true for love, right? Like it's hard to explain love or the or that attachment or that bond unless you had something you loved yourself. So um, at the end of the day, uh, yeah, that's sort of what that's about. So uh, moving on, since said we're uh, coming up to sort of some time limits that we're trying to reach this year, uh, we don't want to go too far over. With all the effort and all the attention you you put on your father every week, right? You're remembering it. You're remembering your loss. Have you ever dreamt of him within uh, your lifetime? You know what? No, believe it or not. The, well, the only dreams that I have ever had have been uh, dreams of the actual incident itself. So I, when, I don't know, when I was a kid, I probably, the first six or seven months after he died, I had recurring dreams about just that night itself. So uh, the grief moment itself. But outside of that, believe it or not, no. 
Now, I don't know if this helps your research anymore or not, and I think we spoke to this on a previous call we had. I can tell you that I did, in fact, have some problems when I was a kid in terms of uh, bedwetting, and it didn't start pretty much until about maybe two weeks after he had died until maybe I was somewhere closer to 11. So that happened for about maybe six months or so. But in terms of actual dreams of him, no. And that is actually like common relieving, reliving the uh, the trauma, and that's sort of part of PTSD, one of the sort of characteristics of it. And so, yeah, you're definitely traumatized as a child. You can definitely see that. And sort of the bedwetting is probably the same thing. And I think it's interesting how you, you so you do dream in that sense, but you never had a, a comforting dream or a positive dream of him um, throughout the years. So given that, what if you could dream of your father tonight, what would you want it to be? You know what? I And I thought I was going to be prepared for this question because I've listened to uh, you ask this question to, to multiple people during a different episode to your podcast. And I've gone through, man, a, about a thousand different things. You know, there'd be a thousand different questions I could ask, a thousand different things about manhood I want to know. But you know what? If I could have just one dream, I, it would just to be to let him know that I'm okay and I've made it and I'm going to be okay. That's actually very beautiful, right? And I'm glad you processed that because it is a, it's a deep question, right? Like, what would you want? And so what age would you want to be? Would you want to be yourself as a child or just right now your age? Now, it would want to be right now because, it, you know, I think had I had any dreams of him earlier or if I'd have frequent dreams and I think for me personally, the process of, and again, closure is such, a, is such a bad term, but I guess the process of my recovery probably would have been a lot slower had I had any dreams of him while I was younger. I think for me personally, my journey is probably as, it is where it is now because I didn't have any dreams. So if, if, if I were to have any, it would be now. Now that I've had a lot of time to process life without him and uh, to do a bunch of the things I've done personally. Yeah, that's very interesting how you're right, because dreams can change your progress through life. And you see that um, in some of these episodes and when you're talking to these people. So going back to the, this dream, I just want to sort of reconstruct it some more. What, where would you want to be? It, was there like a specific place that you guys shared a lot? Well, you know what? <laughs> um, yeah. When I was a kid, my, well, in the course of running his store, my father would go and pick up a lot of items for the store himself. And I would spend a lot of time in him, with him in the company van. So we'd go pick up bread, potato chips, uh, canned soda, uh, you know, whatever it would be that we would stock in the store, candy. He would pick up a ton of different things. And that's where I had some of my most in-depth conversations with him. If you could call any conversation you have with a 10-year-old or 8-year-old in-depth, then that's where we did most of our talking. So it would probably be in a van or in the van that we owned headed to, oh man, uh, the place I loved the most was a place he went to pick up candy. It was like a huge warehouse with anything and everything you wanted with boxes of like your favorite candy from basically from the floor to the ceiling. So it would probably be in that van on the way to pick up candy uh, for the store. Wow. Like, can I come along? That sounds actually <laughs> a really good time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was, I mean, I, you know, and it's, it's sort of weird, but yeah, when I was, when I was a kid, he was my world. And um, 
I would pretty much forsake my friends to spend time with him, pretty much the opposite of what you see kids doing now. But uh, wherever he was, I wanted to be. And um, he used to take me everywhere in that van. So, yeah, that van would be the place that uh, that 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 van would be the, the setting for that dream. <laughs> Second and none. Wow. Well, it seemed like he was such an amazing man. I say he was like your best friend or he was your best friend back then. It was just an amazing soul. And so once again, so sorry to hear that you, you lost him, but I am glad that on your journey, you're helping others process their loss and normalize their experience as you move, as they move forward. Um, and so hopefully you can continue to reach the audiences that you need. And hopefully this podcast can bring some people your way to listen to your story in more detail. And so we are coming to the end of time. So I'm going to get Sean to wrap this up. Definitely. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Darwin. You know, you're a member of a community, member of our tribe. You know, we're going to add you to that because you're doing some amazing work. You know, that's a uh, shout out to all of our American listeners as well. Shout out Missouri. Shout out to D.C. Uh, you know, we get a lot of different American listeners, so we love to hear from them. So I'm just going to read out some of your contacts. We got your uh, podcast uh which is at www.dealingwithmygrief.com. So they can obviously get to the podcast from your website. Uh, we have your email, darwin at dealingwithmygrief.com. And that's D-A-R-W-Y-N at dealingwithmygrief.com. Uh, you have your Facebook group, which is uh, you can find pretty much Dealing With My Grief. So you can find that in Facebook itself and Instagram as well. And that would be DMD67. Is that correct? That's correct. Great. So everybody else, all the other listeners, please check out our Facebook. You can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Grief Dreams. And you can find this podcast and our others on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, many other podcasting platforms. So again, speaking with people like uh, Darwin today and many other amazing people who are doing some great work in the grief field, raising awareness. Um, you know, brings us with a lot of love and gratitude in general. So from us to you, that's love and gratitude. See you, folks. The new beginning. I have introduced myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation. <laughs>